0: I had to go about it, write it out and find it myself. And there's some stories I can tell you. This is the final word. It is season 14. Maybe it's episode 31. Who can really tell? Our episode counting structure is pretty loose um, to begin with and doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But here we are. It's Jeff Lemon, and joining us in just a second, Barrett Cinderason. It's going to be a Busy show. We've got, believe it or not, more Ashes Wash-Up, hopefully the very last bit of Ashes <laughs> Wash-Up. Uh, we've got Usman Kawaja stuff. We've got Australian squads for the T20 series coming up and a provisional squad for the World Cup, which is interesting. A bit on the 100 more World Cup fixturing things. Nathan Lyon, uh, Alex Hale retiring from international cricket. We've got West Indies and India stuff. And who knows? There'll be a nerd pledge thrown in there as well. Uh, it is It is it's a surprisingly busy show given, but that we've all had our heads buried in Ash's stuff for so long, but the rest of the world has moved on in the meantime. Most importantly, you're back home. you got to rejoin your long-lost Isha and cuddle your dogs, Alfie and Olivia, um, and you seem seem well-pleased down the other end of the line.
1: And also meet the chickens for the first time, and they all seem to uh, be in uh, fine fettle after one of them was attacked. By Alfie, as uh, I I told you, uh, live. I was giving you live updates Mm -hmm. on the the chicken. And and also this morning, Isha told me, uh, I I said, oh, so you said Alice was the one who who was injured. So, like, you know, do they have specific marks so that I can pick out which one is Elliot, which one is Eleanor, and which one is Audrey? (laughs) And she said, "Uh, no, not really, (laughs) I just called her Alice because I had to call the injured chicken something. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's how it started. So, at means we know one. Okay. We know who Alice is. Sure. And, you know, there are, I, I told the great uh, uh, Ellie Aldroyd, Eleanor Alroyd that uh, one of our chickens is named after her. So, i love to just pick the best looking one and uh, send her a picture <laughs> soon enough. I, I must say this before we even get to the last two months that we spent in England together. I had a great last evening, and all thanks to Carolyn. Uh, I met her during uh, the last final nerds meet uh, mm-hmm. of the tour at, near the Oval, and you were there as well, of course. Uh, and uh, she just asked me what I would like to do, if there was a place I would like to go before I left. And obviously, I had to mention the artillery ground. Most people would say, oh, I want to watch a play, or yep. I, I want to go to the the, the London, London Eye. Art, or, but I want to or go to the, the Shard. You no. Know. <laughs> Oxford, oh, hmm. yeah, or Tate London, whatever that is. I don't know what Tate London is, but I went past that station many times. Where it said change here for Tate London. And it's it's a modern art
0: museum, it. my boy. It's uh, my my dear ah. friend, my the young man. You, it, this is your your cultural horizons need a bit of expanding if if you want to go and look at some really confusing That's... modern art shit.
1: <laughs> right. Uh, so it's basically uh, the Mona of London. Yeah, you when know? I, mean, I it wasn't a big. Yeah, there you go. No, I did go to the artillery ground, and uh, Carolyn was kind enough to spend uh, a couple of hours. She took me around the graveyard, uh, right next to it as well, which was great. I saw uh, the the gravestone for William William Blake. But the funny thing wow. about the artillery ground is now it's. It, it, I did, yeah. Did you and, did you uh, apologise well, to him
0: on behalf of um, <laughs> the England cricket PA for for bastardising Jerusalem so badly and turning it into some sh- sort of national yeah. him?
1: I know, right? Like, yeah, Poor William Blake would have had no idea. He, he had, had... like, you know, I think his grave's been moved because initially they thought it is one place and then somehow they found out it isn't. Mm. And uh, Carolyn was giving me a bit of history. The Blake Foundation thought around 20 people would come for the... You know the uh, uh, whatever they call the uh, when they opened it up uh, to the public, the the new gravesite, but thousands of people showed up. So William Blake has uh, a a lot more fans than uh, what the Blake Foundation uh, thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but about the artillery ground, so we tried entering the place, but it's part of the military barracks or the military area. So there was this very stern officer sitting in the secure security booth, and I thought I'll use my charm and get my way through. Not no luck. He he kept he. Gave me a very stern look and said, Sir, are you a soldier? Said, no, 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 I'm seriously <laughs> soldier. I've never been asked that before. And then I said, Exactly. So you're not allowed. Uh, that's the second or third time I asked him. I said, I'm a cricket journalist. I've come from far. You know, cricket started here. I just want to walk around, soak it in. And he just said, Sir, I asked you again, are you a soldier? I said, Go away. (laughs) So,
0: if you're a soldier from somewhere else, then they also wouldn't want you to be in there. So, that would disqualify you even more, right? Like, you should, it's better that I'm not a soldier.
1: That is true, yeah. I'm an outsider. But then we walked, so then we did the the cemetery next door. And when we were walking around, and this is a big giveaway to those of you listening to us in London, if you do want to get a great view of the artillery ground, like a clear view, uh, you just walk around. And there's a law, University of Law, or something, mm-hmm. uh, on, on the Parallel Road. Yep. And it's it's got automatic doors, so you can just walk in. And through the glass windows, you can see the artillery ground. It was flooded that day when Kalin and I went, and there was a groundsman there just uh, 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 inspecting some of the puddles. But just. It's it's a great it's a massive ground, and to know that it this is where cricket's are the first laws of the game and how many hours did we spend over oh, the last two months talking about the laws of the game, mm. that the original laws of the game at the London Cricket Club were uh, were yeah were, were written right there at the Artillery Ground in the, the early 1700s. So that's how I ended my tour.
0: <laughs> wow, well yeah, Caroline does cemetery tours, um, giving people a run through mm. of the history of of uh, various of the places where people are interred. Across London, so uh, I'm glad that you got a sort of a, a variation, a different spin on the cemetery tour. And your your last night, sort of well, that was your last night in England, but your your last night on tour, as it were. You fired a few parting <laughs> shots as well with your your scoop about beer gate, uh, about the Australian team not having drinks with the English team, which I mean, to a point, is is overblown sort of nothingness. Yeah. But there was a loading on it, particularly given the the Brendan McCullum stuff after Lords about how we won't be sharing, sharing mm. a drink with them, which I think was a bit unfairly made out to be him saying we hate them yeah. as opposed to him saying that relations are not great right at the moment so we'll, we'll mm. probably, probably leave them alone and they'll leave us alone for the time being. I think it was... I thought it was more an observation of fact rather than a, a vindictive thing. But yeah. anyway, it's still stands out because so and and I remember one of the the things that you told me about your journalistic grounding was never leave the team you stay with the team until until everything's Mm. said and done and we've done that before you know we've talked about that at Old Trafford in 2019 and and for instance that that Mm. story again it wasn't a big deal sort of story but the the Jack Leach impersonation thing and the Australians denying that that's what they were doing when that was clearly not true and when they were clearly bullshitting um, because we were there and we could hear what they were saying and we were watching them. And that's it's, it's a thing that I've generally done with you as well. And the Oval is a place where it's relatively easy to do because you can sit in the seats on the other side of the ground and see the outside areas of the rooms. You can hear what's going on there. And generally after an oval test, the previous three Ashes tours I've done, that's, that's what I've ended up doing is sitting outside and just getting a sense of mm. the ambience with the teams and how they're interacting and what the sort of socializing is like afterwards. As it happens after that test on, on this tour, I was upstairs with Adam recording up team podcasts and didn't have an ear on what was going on outside, but you did. So it's, it's not, mm. a, it's not a complete non-story that there was no interaction between no, the teams no. after such a long and significant series because fundamentally it seems like the Australians got sick of waiting around. They weren't feeling very jovial, they were feeling pretty, um, uh, not like a mm. team that had won anything and England were feeling celebratory and, and the, the two sides did not align.
1: They certainly did not. And I remember uh, uh, saying my goodbyes to you at least four times like I do. Uh, (laughs) There's always that one story I've forgotten to tell Mm -hmm. you. So after the fourth time, I I went downstairs and I expected, like, in 2019 when uh, a bunch of us hung around, but we also hung around because there were free beers, don't forget, someone had left them behind. And the atmosphere around the Oval was so different. Um, Australia seemed in in a jubilant mood, even though they lost the test, the retention of the Ashes. Uh, And you would remember we saw both Australian and English players um, hang around till I think well past midnight, uh, yeah. singing "Sweet Caroline" at one point. Um, so uh, as soon as I went downstairs, uh, I assumed a lot of our media colleagues would be seated outside, which the Oval does have those uh, two, two spots right on either side of the main press box, um, peering into the dressing room, which is what. I was trained to do, or I've trained myself to do in some ways. Uh, but instead, when I went down, all of them were like running inside, and they said, "No, no, it's getting too dark here." So obviously, they had deadlines which I you know I tend to flout, or I sure. didn't have a deadline for that night. So, so I hung around, and I honestly was looking for them to start having a drink, so that I can literally, you know, kind of end the tour with on a happy note saying Australia and England are drinking together it's all fine you know mm-hmm. it's too all. it's the perfect end that's what I was waiting to see um, so I kept looking at the Australian dressing room and I do remember at one point the English players and the support staff all went to into uh, uh, through a door uh, in their room uh, which is which is to the left of where we were seated and they didn't come out after the Australians left but anyway before that I saw the Australians were mulling around uh, and then Steve Smith walked up to Pat Cummins and he uh, you could see that he was pointing at him and saying, let's go to the other side. And then a bunch of them gathered around and then they started walking there. And then I could see Steve Smith's head bobbing up and down. He kept like leaning uh, out, looking at the England dressing room, turning around and going I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. I mean, obviously, I couldn't hear what they were saying. We were on sure. the other side of the ground. And then there was just a lot of movement. And some of the other Aussies came and looked over as over, there, over the, to the other side as well. Uh, and at that point, I was like, OK, something's not right. Like, you know, the Australians, either the English players have left for some reason, which would have been strange uh, because it was still just, what, around 10 p.m., or there is some sort of miscommunication and then i just saw steve smith walk back and pat cummins and him have a chat and they just like picked up their bags and they left it was just 10:45. it was strange to see mm. that happen my first thought was maybe they've been informed that the english players are somewhere else or something of that sort but then i held back on the tweet and literally 10 minutes after the Australians left, this door opened in the English camp and all the English players walked out. Now, whether it was coincidence, as we now know, I think Oli Pope or has said on a podcast that they could hear the Australians knocking on the door. But Stuart Broad was in the middle of his retirement speech and they I don't know, obviously didn't open the door at that point. So that's what I heard from the Australian camp that, hey, we knocked on their door a few times. They didn't open. So we are a little peeved. So we we've left. And I wasn't even going to tweet that out till uh, me and my big mouth walked into the Australia into the print area and started telling everyone about this. And then the other journalist with a bit better journalist sense than me jumped on it and said, "That's a yarn, mate. That's a yarn. We're going to write it." I'm like, "Ah, oh, crap." <laughs> now, like, you know, then the journalist in me was like, "I can't write it for Craig Buzz because my desk is shut." Mm. So I had to, you know, tweet it out. Mm. Um, Uh, And then as soon as I tweeted it out, I heard from some members of the Australian team management or team that, yeah, I mean, this did happen. Like, you know, we tried getting in there. And as soon as I tweeted that out, I heard from the English camp saying, mm-hmm. hey, this is not true. <laughs> and I got a long explanation from their spokesperson. And I said, cool. I mean, look, I'm not here it, to it like... It did sound very war.
0: media manager because immediately um, various of the English journalists were suddenly posting what was clearly briefed information to yeah. say, oh, excuse me. Well, we did this and we did that. And we tried to, we, you know, we we were busy with our retirement thing, whatever. Um, yeah. yeah they, they were They were clearly very sensitive about the fact that this point had been raised
1: very much so and uh as soon as uh you know so i started i actually was contacted by a very senior english journalist who has been on your show before (laughs) and he's like "Oh, what are you trying to do i'm hearing something else from the english camp like both stories cannot be true they're saying that they're surprised that the australians left i was like look dude i don't know and it's really late at night uh I, i this is what i was told i put it out and then I told the English spokesperson that, look, if you want me to clarify the story, I'll put your clarification out. And that's that's it. Like, I'm not, you know, it doesn't matter to me. It is a story, clearly. Like, mm. it hasn't happened. And uh, the other Australian journalists are writing about it. So... I'm just telling, letting you know. Uh, so I put that clarification out, go to bed. And the next morning, I had to do a radio cross anyway. I get a call uh, and, and he's like, Brad, has Ben Stokes been over to have a chat with you, mate? And I'm like, ha ha ha, no, no, I'm not. And then he's like, oh, but uh, he's surely been co-tweeting you. And I said, no, nah, no, nah, he's not. He's like, no, nah, no, he has been co-tweeting you. I said, really? <laughs> so <laughs> this is when I checked my phone and my Twitter was blown up. And it, I, I do remember when I went to bed. It was mainly just a lot of Australian people accusing the English fans of being churlish and like, Bad you know, being sore yeah. losers. Yeah. yeah. And because Australia had woken up, England had gone to bed. Mm. But by the time I checked my phone to see the quote tweet, I was suddenly the new South Australian villain. <laughs> I'd like, I'd taken over from Alex Carey because, <laughs> ooh, some of the things were not kind at all. Uh, and then... Once I did see the actual quote or tweet from Ben Stokes, I was like, he's All he's done is clarified my story even more. A, it's Mm -hmm. 4.11 a.m. He's saying that they bumped into a nightclub and he's never said that what I said was wrong. So, uh, in a way, he couldn't have done any, even though a lot Mm -hmm. of people, obviously, the replies to my tweet were, Ben Stokes has burnt you. You know me, I'm not going to go and reply to them, but in my head, not really. He's in fact, like, raised me on his shoulders and said, this guy is right. (laughs) Oh, man, the drama, and it still continues. I'm still getting messages from some former players in Australia saying, like, what what really happened this is what we are hearing this what, mm. did, did you hear the same thing did you, i said, look man whatever i saw i put it out there like i always do but yeah not bad to like not bad away not 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 a bad way to end your tour when they are uh, an ashes tour when an england captain is co-tweeting you at four eleven from a nightclub
0: <laughs> should have been 4 20 from the nightclub yeah the, <laughs> stokes was whatever it was the the video of him in in mcdonald's at four o'clock in the morning so yeah, true true to form i suppose but yeah one of those stories where i saw I suppose it doesn't actually matter a great deal, but there's some symbolism attached to it in terms of mm. kind of getting together off the field. And I suppose one team being the hosts, there's a bit more to that as well. Like yeah. I, I didn't, didn't sure. really gel with me saying, oh, well, we were busy doing speeches and stuff. Well, I mean, okay. yeah, you, You're still... You're still you're still the home team um there, there was there seemed mm. there was uh, there was both a bit of it, it was evident how kind of bruised the australians were with the result and all the rest of it mm. and just wanting to get out of there i think that's quite telling and also evident yep. that that sort of self absorption that we've noticed about the england team um, is is something that seems to be represented there to some extent and then we keep going. People keep going on about uh, about. We've had beer gate, then we've got ball gate. Um, the the replacement ball thing. <laughs> this it, it's amazing to me that this story is still going. This speculation mm. that it was one of the twenty eighteen balls, one of the ones that used to do heaps somehow getting into the box. Ben Horn wrote up the story, interviewed Dilip Jojodia from the Dukes ball company, um, and, and the way the story was presented with the subhead and all the rest sort of built up this idea that well, Dukes will have an investigation, basically implying that Dilip thought that this had happened, whereas, in fact, his quotes mm. indicate that he thinks it didn't happen. Um, he, said, he, said, yeah. he said, I'm not saying it's a, a, impossible, but it's not likely that an earlier batch of balls could have been mixed up with the current ones because they do keep them updated year by year, citing the stats from CrickViz saying that the amount of, of swing more than doubled and the amount of seam almost doubled and so on and so on it, it still seems I mean to me it seems like a luck of the draw thing that happens in cricket they replace mm. the ball sometimes it does more sometimes it does less this one did more but it did it at a point in the match when you're when the effect on the outcome is more obvious as opposed to if it happens in the first innings where it has happened you know we talked about the 2019 example at and when mm. Australia got one um, against England, that suddenly moved a lot more and helped them take wickets in the first innings there. But that's not the end, so it's you know the, the the point of difference is is less marked, I suppose. But I don't know, like what what's your what do you make of it all? Is is it it seems it, it's, it seems kind of over the top to me that people in Australia are putting everything on this because you still had to chase mm. three hundred and eighty four. Like that that wasn't
1: yeah. There's
0: a reason that's difficult, and the reason it's difficult is that even if you have a massive partnership there's still a lot of runs to go. And so you can't say, oh, well, this cost Australia the match. That's an absurd thing to say because you have no idea what would have happened with a different ball.
1: And you just have to look at how that day panned out. Yes, batting was obviously much more difficult than uh, it seemed to be the previous evening for Kawaja and Warner. Uh, and Chris walks bowled magically, right? In those conditions, Chris walks is the one bowler you don't want to face in England, and he gets rid of them. Amarnath gets out to a delivery that he's got out to a few times in that series from Mark Wood. But as difficult as batting was, then Steve Smith and Travis had 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 no trouble, uh, right? Or they looked in complete control. Uh, I thought they played beautifully well. And after the break, it was Moin Ali who sort of turned the game around. Like people have, I I said that on social media, and um, even now people are like, yeah, but look at when Moin Ali took those wickets. Well, Moin Ali took those wickets when Travis Head and Steve Smith had batted out the first half an hour of uh, the last session, or what happened to be the last session. After the rain break, and then he gets this, like, ball to drift into Travis' head and turn a long way, which had nothing to do with the ball really. That mm-hmm. was just a classy piece of bowling, and that that's when the collapse starts. Uh, so, uh, and Steve Smith gets out to a ball where, again, it didn't. It wasn't a ball that did a a lot or appreciably more than any other delivery that I had done there were obviously hooping deliveries throughout uh, the day's play and there's no hiding away from that fact but the first thing Usman Khawaja told me after the, uh, after when I spoke to him for SEN after the game was um, yeah he said like I'd hit my bat harder and everything else he said in other interviews since and the, the interesting thing I did do remember him saying is that even he felt even when Steve Smith and Travis Head were batting together after the break he never felt like Australia were, were on top because he just felt that there would be that one ball which would get it, get them out because it was doing quite a bit. But again, he then he said, but it happens, right? And okay. Pat Cummins said the same thing in press conference. You can't... I don't think any of the players involved in that game the australians are going to put their hand up and say hey you know what we lost because of that ball they Mm. they lost for because of a variety of reasons not getting enough runs in the first innings when they could have or they should have taken Mm. a bigger lead Um, dropping harry uh, brook when
0: when he goes on to make 85.
1: dropping dropping harry brook when he was on five exactly and you know and then 384 doesn't get chased on very often i mean it would have been a different story if they say they were chasing 200 and they were in complete command and then they lose seven wickets to that ball, something as extreme as that, then sure. you can say, Yeah, you can single out that delivery, but uh, you still can't. It's a test match. It, it may be in a T20 game or a shorter format game that could be the case. Yeah. But yeah, it's funny how this ball gate is being drawn out. But if you have ever met Dilip Jajodia, the one thing you know is he loves talking about balls and yeah. dukes, right? Like, yeah, uh, you just take that tube up to Walthamstow Walthamstows to Stove Central yep. get off find the Duke's factory and you you're entertained for the next 2 3 years uh 2 3 hours or feels like 2 3 years at times that man loves to talk about mm. um, uh cricket cricket balls uh, and how the, it's manufactured and that's just him and that's his business uh, you know and he's made a great uh, run with uh, you know creating balls for Duke's which get used all around mm. English cricket uh, and get spoken up a lot as well so I'm, I'm i'm not surprised that ben horn being the sleuth that he is has found dilip jojodia and i'm not surprised that dilip jojodia said you know what this way i can keep the duke's mm-hmm. ball in in circulation for uh, a few more days than it would have, because don't forget there are there are no more test matches left in Australia, and generally, it's only during test matches that that a ball gets spoken off a lot, right? And during the hundred sure. or when England play New Zealand in the T20s or whatever, yep. it's not going to come up uh, for discussion much. And Dilip Jojode has played it very smartly, um, and, and but I guess it's just the Ashes. I think everybody's smarting with the fact that Australia haven't won three two or three one like. A lot of people expected them to.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is there is definitely a bit of that. It seems, and that brings us back to Usman Khawaja, who's been very outspoken on a range of things the last few weeks. Uh, the thing you mentioned about the ball seeming harder—I don't. I'm not sure how particularly relevant that is, except maybe it. Maybe those ones swing a bit more. Chipping in about the overrates thing. So during the series, like we talked about, after Edgbaston, they get fined. He goes directly to the ICC general manager, Wasim Khan, and lobbies him to reduce these penalties. The ICC have their meeting in July and this happens. So they reduce the fines to 5% per over behind the rate down from 20%, retrospectively, which is odd. And also they say no World Test Championship points lost if you bowl out an opponent inside 80 overs. So, you know, if, for instance, an opponent's well ahead of you on day four and they're trying to set you a target you can drag the overrate out as much as you want now and, and keep your fast bowlers fresh and all the rest of it with no penalty as long as you get mm. them out inside 80 overs and thus gobble up a whole lot of time that you should be batting instead and give mm. yourself a better chance to, for instance, draw the match. So, I mean, mm. that's bullshit. To, to begin with <laughs> And and Kawaja makes the same argument As Ben Stokes did Oh the cricket's entertaining So who cares About the overrate mm-hmm. um, his, his quote was We're trying to go As fast as we can You're you not You're clearly not We can all see that we, We're watching yeah. the game That's evident And then after the series Is done The point deductions From the uh, last four test matches, England lose 19 points, Australia lose 10 points. One test match win is 12 points, so it's a lot. Australia have basically lost a test mm. match and England have lost almost both of the tests that they won in terms of points. Australia apparently only behind the overrate at Old Trafford despite some ludicrous sessions through the series. And is mm. still not happy and fires off again on social media saying, oh, we didn't even get the chance to bowl in the second innings at Manchester. So... A couple of things to put to you. One, Australians complaining about being unlucky at Manchester seems cute. Two, they might not have bowled a second time anyway. They were still 60 behind, so who knows. Three, even if they had bowled a second time, that doesn't offset the first innings. It's not done, it doesn't work that way. If you have a fast overrate in the second innings, that doesn't affect Mm. your overrate in the first innings. To me, it's this fundamental point of principle that, if you're talking about what happens at the end of the test match versus what happens at the end of each day of the test match and fundamentally the crowd, spectators, people buy their tickets for a day, not for the match. Mm. So if you're mm. told you're going to get 90 overs in a day and you get 78 overs in a day, then that's the problem. It's it's the overrate at the end of the day. I don't know. This is Overrates are sort of in your area, in in your umpiring and so on, although there's, there's probably yeah. a lot less attention paid to it at park level in Adelaide.
1: No they, no, they are. I mean, in fact, like we have uh, many meetings and many workshops which have to do with finishing overs in time. And because, you, you know, you don't want, you know, you see a lot of things that happen at the highest level kind of eek their way into the lower levels and junior, junior cricket in particular, right? I mean, for two years, all I heard Every young cricketer do was when they weren't batting or bowling in the middle was going (laughs) which after a point gets to you like you know so uh, similarly with all rates as well and you can see uh, and it doesn't happen because they're trying to because of any gamesmanship at under 14 under 16 level. Uh, but they they just like slack off, right? Like they and especially under 14s so or the, the the younger kids. So it's our responsibility to pull them up uh, and make sure that the over rates are like you know you call the captain, you have a little chat, um, and, and you also give them. It's also a lesson on responsibility to the captain, right? The captain gets pulled up in that case. Obviously, they don't get fined. Don't go thinking. we little Jimmy, has to pay or pay back the twenty dollars he gets, for like maybe yeah. from his parents, <laughs> playing that game. The pocket money is taken away from him. <laughs> yeah. but um, uh, it, it 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 is a problem, and I think uh, the whole argument of hey, but you're being entertained doesn't work. Like if say uh, if I paid for a whole day's play and you're like you said, I'm supposed to get ninety overs, and yes, I am entertained for seventy overs. I'm like. Yeah, but what about the other 20 overs? like yes i was massively entertained for those 70 hours but i want to be entertained massively for those the remaining 20 hours mm-hmm. as well and the, you're right it can't be looked at retrospectively on day five as to hey but you know we didn't even get to day four so uh we shouldn't be fine it's it's a, it's on a daily basis the, and and players aren't told that you have to finish 450 hours in five days it's 90 hours a day mm-hmm. that's just that's how rate gets calculated so it's it's a daily thing and then um, I think it is in England don't they have this uh the announcer at the start of the day uh, and I love his tone when he talks about it he always says and overs that will not be completed after the half an hour uh, after the extra half hour will be lost to the game and I know you can you can see the uh, depth in his voice mm-hmm. or the emotion in his voice whenever he mentions that's the fact they just get lost in ether you don't know yeah. where they go i mean someday we'll maybe find an alternate universe where all these uh, overs which have not been bowled during a day of Test cricket sure. get are, are being played played yeah. out. You know, it's 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 the excess. It's the uh, it's the crumbs almost. Isn't they not? They shouldn't be. They're treated like crumbs, aren't they? They're treated like um, things that you just chuck away uh, because nobody cares because everybody's entertaining. But I think it's it's becoming part of the whole player power narrative which i think is growing in cricket isn't it i mean uh, the whole people talk about franchise owners gaining power and them mm. running the show but you know it comes down to the players having more choices more opportunities and having a bigger say on things that matter i mean it, it, it in most cases it's about things that should be spoken about but you're right like usman Kowaja and i was there at that press conference like he wasn't asked about it He volunteered this information about uh, him having had this chat about a chap to Wasim Khan, and that led to uh, the journalist asking him for more details about it. So uh, I'm not surprised that he's jumped on. And Usman also tells you the kind of space Usman Khwaja is in right now, right? as a person and as a cricketer. He's just having fun. He's just going to fire off on anything he thinks um, he should have a say on. And uh, clearly, uh, he's not happy with um, his... uh, his pockets being targeted by this overrate thing, and uh, uh, but but you're right. I mean, at the end of this, yeah, we've had this great Ashes series. But uh, will these two teams make the world test championship final after having lost so many points? Because the one thing is, India are going to play a lot of test matches at home, mm-hmm. and you know, the overrate is not a problem for India in those conditions, Nagpur. Jeff, you remember day one of Nagpur? Yep. We were done at 4.30. I still can't believe we were done at 4.30. <laughs> <laughs> so even like, you know, when play could have been extended to five. Uh, yep. So uh, uh, we had other issues to sort out, of course, that evening. So it didn't feel like uh, a celebration, but it it should have. Uh, so India will not complain too much, but it's going to be a thing with Australia. England. And hey, just going back on the ball thing, sorry, something just came to mind. I think one of the quotes from Dilip Jojodia is about how the the O's get out the year of the uh, of the ball gets numbered it's like 2019 gets used in 2019 and yep. that's where i think he's uh, put a lot of doubt on uh or cast aspersions on why dharma would have picked up a 2019 ball but it also tells you uh about manas labushin and why he kept insisting didn't he during the manchester test why he wanted to see the ball even though ben stokes wasn't happy with him mm. with that duke's ball you can say a lot by the color if it's a dark cherry color it does a lot more and then the the the, the hardness in the seam as well so but I, I don't think we've heard the last of uh, either uh, ball gate or overrate gate, mm. or for that matter, I don't want to call it beer gate because who knows what. They, I did see some of the English players carry uh, bottles of spirit uh, once they did walk out after the Australians had left. So let's just call it—I um, don't know—no drinks after Ashes gate. Yeah, this extended. <laughs>
0: yeah. That's pithy. That's very. That that really sums it up neatly. All right, we'll talk white ball stuff after the break. But before we do that, let's play a little bit of. Nerd Pledge! Nerd Pledge. Uh, Nerd Pledge is the game that we play on this show where people who listen to this show send us a reverse quiz, if you will. They support the program by sending in donations, contributions, uh, but they do that in amounts that are not normal amounts of currency. They're specific amounts that relate to cricket in some way, and we have to work out what the number means. This pledge comes in from David Peacock. It's a new pledge. It's a shift from a Julio pledge to a nerd pledge. So if you send in, say, a flat mm. five bucks or whatever it is, that's your Julio pledge. You're not, you're not playing nerd pledge unless you tell us that that number means something. But then some people, after Julioing for a while at the back of the room, they, they shift it up and become a nerd, and David Peacock's done that. With $7.43, this comes in, in Canadian dollars, but I don't think it's going to be a Canadian number. It has this clue, Barrett. It says, a genuine champion from yesteryear, who surprised all with a brilliant but unlikely performance a long way from home. And I think that this can only refer to a bowling performance that we've talked about recently on the show, but I thought that you might be able to tell me more about it, about mm. what happened when Ray Lindwall took 7 for 43 in what was then Madras
1: it was madras and the interesting thing about this test match is that it was not played at the chepok which uh you know has one of the most iconic uh test venues in in world cricket but especially in indian cricket uh 1952 india win their first ever test match or beat england for the first time uh and that happened at chepok and since it's had such uh, great performances, great m- moments of for Indian cricket and world cricket. I mean, the standing ovation that the Pakistani team got in 1999 after winning their famous test. But there was a period in the 1950s and to the 60s, I think five to seven test matches got played at the Nehru Stadium, which is now um, uh, become more a football stadium or actually a multi multi-purpose uh, sports stadium. It's it's uh, very close to a major railway station. And when I was a journalism student, I, I've covered a bit of local football uh, or local soccer at that ground. Um, and and there, there aren't too many remnants of what that test match ground would have looked like when Ray Lenvald was uh, running through a very high-profile Indian batting lineup, one of the strongest Indian batting lineups from that early era of uh, Indian test cricket. So this happens at the Nehru ground. So it The reason why the game was played at the other stadium and not Chepok is um, the Madras Cricket Club did not kind of own the M.A. Chidambaram Stadium at that point. It wasn't called M.A. Chidambaram, but still Chepok, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Okay, so the Chepok is the the Chidambaram. Uh, They're the same. It is, it is, yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, they are the same ground. Yeah, chepak is, is 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 I think the ground name, but M H Chidambaram is his former administrator, much like Wankele. Yeah, sure, uh, and you know cricket grounds in India often used to be named after that. They still are Arun Jaitley the,
0: in Delhi. The the Faraz Sh- has become the Arun Jaitley in the last couple of years.
1: Indeed, indeed. Now it's more about politicians like Arun Jaitley. Mm. But yeah, Arun Jaitley was both administrator and politician. Sure. Um,
0: well, the justification good, good, for for naming the stadium after Modi in Gujarat is that he was the president of the gujarat cricket association which is um you know uh, well, make of that what you will
1: yeah i mean you've one and a half months well spent for you in india uh you've already understood india really well jeff so this will come in handy later on in the show trust me mm-hmm. uh on this show that i mean but yeah so it it, it got named image in after image in so anyway so there was a break in break in play in terms of test matches at chepok because i think chepok was going through its first ever renovation, so it wasn't ready for quite a while. And unlike now, they used to take quite a few years to finish the renovation. So the test match gets played um, at Nehru Stadium. And uh, I have a personal no, not a personal anecdote, but my father was there watching it live. And he was there at, at, in 1952 watching India win their first test as well, because wow. he used to stay, um, see, he grew up in a house next door to Chepok. So he always used to tell me, used to tell me that the, he, him, and his brothers, uh, uh, especially in the as the day wore on, the cops at the ground would walk over to their house, um, asking them for a glass of water. And the deal was, okay, we'll give you a glass of water, but then you have to allow us to watch a little bit of cricket, like from the from the side gate. And then the cops would help my father and his brothers, kind of jump jump huh. the gate. Uh, and, and watch cricket for like half an hour, 45 minutes before like asking them to leave uh, till the next day when they would get another glass of water. And then like uh, my grandmother uh, was smart enough. She said like, why don't you um, add a few perks? Like with with a glass of water, I'll give them some snacks as well. So 45 minutes could become one and a half hours. So that's how <laughs> my father was. But then to go to the Nehru Stadium, I think if I'm not mistaken, it would have taken him 20, 25 minutes. But my father was 14 by the time Railhead was running through uh, uh, India. And, and it's funny, a lot of uh, Indians, I think we've spoken about this on a on story time w- once earlier. Uh, a lot of their cricket scores would used to come through uh, this board outside the, the Hindu office in Chennai, uh, where uh, this guy would have the transistor, one guy, and then he would keep replacing names. And that's why whenever my father would talk about cricketers from that era, he would always talk about them in terms of initials. AWG, uh, NJK Smith was his favorite, or like some AWG Greg was bowling. It was always initials. He never knew the first name. Mm. Except Ray Lindwall, because he watched him bowl, uh, I think I don't know how many wickets of those he watched, and he would always say, uh, every time i would ask him about um, you know the great west indian fast bowler ray Lindwall, ray Lindwall fast bowler he would always tell me i remember and he didn't use initials he used ray Lindwall, because he oh. saw ray Lindwall in person yeah. uh so i don't know which part of the ground he saw him from so uh, during no, this it, match it was, it during, was great,
0: during the 7 for 43 it, match
1: yeah, yeah he saw he saw the 7 wicket hall like i don't know wow. if he watched all 7 wickets, i remember this came to mind as soon as i read the Nerd pledge because but, hey, Ray Lindwall, Bowler, like, you know, so that came to mind, like, that's what, Avon <laughs> Bowler, he was a bowler, like, yeah, all these other johnny come lately don't matter, so, um, uh, and, and my father was always, strangely, more an English cricket fan, I don't know why, he always right. supported England, but, like, yeah, Ray Lindwall and a couple of Aussies did uh, leave an impression on him, so, uh, and, and I think the significance of their performance is because uh, like I said, it came against a very strong Indian team. This is this is peak; like th- they were the big four of that era, right? They had the uh, the playing, mm-hmm. and uh, you know a, a lot of younger players had come through. Pauli Umbriger was captain, so for him to do that after. From what I've read, he was struggling. Well, I'm sure you guys have spoken about this. He he had a bad tour of England. He wasn't really doing well, and then uh, he fell sick during this first innings of this Test match. And for him to take those wickets was um, quite a feat. And I think it also I was reading um, uh, Partha uh, uh or oh, no Raju Bharatan, or one of those legendary Indian cricket writers from from that era uh, write about what it meant. Like you know, Rail involved There's this famous story about him from the 1947-48 tour where he kept clean bowling Vinoo Mankar and uh, Vinoo Mankar walked up to him after the fourth time he clean bowled him and said at some function and said hey uh, what should I do against you? Like, why? Like, I keep getting out to you. And Ray Lindwall actually suggested you should do this, this might work out, and he makes 100 in the next game. So he was always known as this huh. wonderful, gentle Australian, like, you know, who not fit the whole, the, the usual stereotype of being an Australian fan. But, I mean, yeah. all that is stuff that I've read. But for me, Ray Lindwall taking seven wickets would always be, nine. Ray Lindwall, I'm a baller, like <laughs> that my dad would always say. And, like, yeah, and I think, uh, that's that so, but my dad was also in his teens at that point, so he wasn't bribing cops to watch cricket at Chepauk. I think he was buying his own ticket or so, I hope.
0: <laughs> Sundaray Sanji, um, watching, watching that in person, that's a, it's a wonderful link. While we're on the subject of Indian first-class cricket of that era, Ray Lindwall debuts in 1941-42. Someone else who debuted in that season, Rusi Cooper, who died this last week as the oldest first-class cricketer of the time the mantle gets passed on. Rhett Bartlett uh, linked us up with this information, but we talked about Russie Cooper on the show before, maybe a year or two ago on Storytime. Interesting figure, someone who, who played in the Pentangular tournaments towards the end, and then also got a county contract for Middlesex, played in England up until 1951. Ray will goes on to 1961, so Played played another ten years, but they it's it's a curious coincidence that they debuted in the same season, and that that's the number that pops up this week, and and that that Roussi Cooper, who's that last link to to the past in mm. terms of the Indian pentangular first-class tournaments, has passed away,
1: uh, and also one of the uh, last Parsi cricketing names uh, from from that era. Uh, I mean, there are a few still around, and you know he was one of the first big names, or key names. Uh, to come through the ranks, uh, even though he didn't play play it for India. Uh, and it, it, it kind of is a reminder of the Parsi connection, uh, which has been lost with Indian cricket, because a lot of early cricketers came from that from that background. Uh, so, and uh, one of the first stories I ever attempted to do as a journalist way back in 2008, Jeff Lemon, is uh, to kind of trace back those links of Parsi cricket. And my boss, Sandy Devadi, who you did meet uh, in Delhi during the test match, had told me, wait, I'm sure um, either like a Parsi cricketer of yours will will pass away, and they include the likes of uh, Nari Contractor and Faruk Engineer, uh, or uh, we'll uh, it can't last gone forever. There will be some Parsi who will play for India again, uh, and then you can do the story. 16 years on, still haven't got a chance to do that story. Uh, I don't know. I should go find the notes from somewhere. This is back when I used to write down notes as well. Uh, but yeah, for, uh, so I think Lucy Cooper. Kind of, uh, uh, I've read stories. Uh, there, I mean, there were many obituaries written about him in the in the Indian papers, and how him and some of those key figures I spoke about earlier from the 1950s, the Madhavates. And um, many others who played test cricket for India would meet each other um, till all of them were alive uh, to just relive the golden days. And yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's a name that doesn't do the rounds enough because he didn't play at the highest level. But uh, yeah, at least uh, on his passing, people are talking about him and also talking about this long forgotten, strangely forgotten link of Parsis in Indian cricket. Like, you know, the fact that uh, we have to go back all the way to Farooq Engineer, not just for India, but even for Mumbai. I think Zubin Barucha, who played in the 80s and early 90s, is the last Parsi to have played uh, first last cricket for Mumbai.
0: All right, that is Nerd Pledge. That's the $7.43 for David Peacock. Drop us a line, David. Let us know if we've got your number anywhere vaguely right. Let's take a break. After that, it'll be all the white ball action. Hi, I'm Brian Roddell. You're listening to The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Adam Collins. This is The Final Word with Jeff Lemon and Bharat Sundaresan. The Australian squads, let's have a, well, just a quick look at the T20 squad that will be playing in South Africa ahead of some one as ahead of the World Cup. They've released a preliminary World Cup squad as well, an extended one. With the T20 stuff, a couple of things that jumped out at me. Spencer Johnson the fast left armour, getting a go. Travis Head's back in that side. Matthew Short is in. Mm. He's been having a good time in the 100 at the start of that mm. competition. Tim David gets another go. Wasn't convinced if that would happen after the T20 World Cup last year when he showed glimpses of what he could do but didn't sort of have an extended opportunity to do it. And Mitch Marsh captaining that side, leading an Australian side for the first time with a lot of the, the regular test players being rested after the Ashes.
1: Um, yeah, Mitch Marsh is big news, isn't it? Um, uh, I mean, he's what a few weeks he's had uh, in in international cricket, uh, the great return, the dramatic return we saw in Leeds, uh, and by the end of that series, he was ahead of Cameron Green in the pecking order, playing ahead of him, uh, and uh, now you know being named T20 captain and deservedly so. Like that whole. 2021 period, Jeff, you'll remember when Australia were on the road during COVID, they kept losing in the Caribbean and in, in Bangladesh. He was the shining light. And then he goes on to play a, a starring role in Australia, winning their first ever T20 World Cup. So, And ever since that, he's been so consistent at the top of the order in 50-over and 20-over cricket. Uh, so this could well be the who knows right like the uh, a point for the future where uh, say mitch marsh takes over as white ball captain pat cummins has always said he's not going to be a long-term leader in white ball cricket in particular so at 31 things are really looking up for mitch marsh aren't they but yeah spencer johnson i think he will be playing test cricket very soon australians are really high on him um, and you have him and lance morris like and we saw what pace can do like ever since mark wood came into that Ashes series and Australia would have taken a key note of that as well. So, uh, uh, so it's good, good to see Spencer Johnson uh, back, and always good to have another South Australian in the ranks.
0: <laughs> Mighty South Aussies. Um, well, <laughs> Travis Head back in there as well. Now with this, this World Cup. Squad. I say squad in inverted commas, it's 18 Mm. players, so it will be reduced. A couple of these players aren't going to South Africa because they're being rested, but this is broadly what Mm. they've outlined as their plans. If you you tried to pluck an 11 out of it, it would probably be David Warner and Travis Head opening, Mitch Marsh at three, Steve Smith, Marcus Stoinis, Glenn Maxwell probably five and six, Carey at seven Mm. as the keeper. They've got the big three quicks are all in there, so Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood are all in that squad. Adam Zampa is there, who who's, would still be the first choice spinner, although that's that gives him a longish tail if that were the actual 11. Mm. So some interesting points here. There, there are a lot of all-rounders in the mix. So, well, Josh Inglis, you can kind of count as one because he can be a specialist bat or a keeper. Mm. But then they've got Cameron Green, Aaron Hardy, Sean Abbott, who are all seeming all-rounders. Nathan Ellis can bat a bit as well. And then yeah. Ashton Agar as the spin all-rounder Tanviya Sanger is in that 18 as well. Manus Labashain out of the squad altogether, which is interesting. They had him at three for quite a while, um, experimenting yeah. there with, with having more of a Smith-like player, but I guess they've decided they don't need... Both. Um, maybe Labashane would come in if, if Smith were injured to do that kind of job at four as a rotating player. But it's interesting that you can pick a, a sort of test bowling attack lineup almost, um, or you could start mixing it up with the other all rounders as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look up and down that playing 11 doesn't look too dissimilar to what they had in 2019, right? I mean, take yeah. Aaron Finch out, put Travis Head in uh mitchell marsh comes back in a way uh and say josh hazelwood was arrested for that world cup for so that he could play the ashes um so yeah he had what jason berendorf and nathan Coulter-Nile and those guys Mm -hmm. there so it's not very dissimilar to that um it'll be interesting to see what they do with that top order though uh david warner uh, did not play the one-dayers in uh, india you remember and mitchell marsh got to play at the top of the... or got to open. And then Steve Smith was one down. And I think Steve Smith... Oh, on Steve Smith on the T20 stuff, yeah. I mean, uh, George Bailey did say that he'll be opening. So they saw what he did in the BBL and he's been given a clear message. We want you to do what you did in the BBL in T20 i cricket, which is interesting looking at... Uh, or. Imagining the fact that we could have Steve Smith and David Warner opening the batting in the yeah. T20 World Cup next year. Who would have thought that in 2024? Uh, but yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what they do with that top order. Travis Head has made that opening slot his own in the last 12 or so months. Uh, and he did say that, I mean, maybe David Warner could even fit into the middle order. So he didn't rule that out, especially considering his record against uh, Spin in the subcontinent. Uh, they might well go ahead Marsh Smith. Uh, and then Warner bats four or five, mm. uh, so which which would make uh, interesting. They've tried it a couple of times here and there, haven't they, in the past? Just very briefly, though. Out.
0: Really, it was when they were wanting yeah. to experiment with someone else to give. Maybe it was when uh, when mm. Philippi was opening the batting. Perhaps they put Warner in true. before. Yeah, but it was only yeah. for a game or yeah. two.
1: That's true. Yeah. So uh, he did leave that open in in his press conference. Uh, uh, Manus, he basically said. They do see him play a bigger role in Monday Cricket going ahead, but the returns just haven't really matched his talent or something along those lines. So right. uh, they're waiting on him with the World Cup so close. But you're right. I mean, they have they picked Aaron Hardy in both squads, which is a sign that he could make the cut. Cam Green is obviously high up on uh, and especially the runs he's got or in the subcontinent, right? The three T20s, the mm-hmm. IPL form. So I would be surprised if he doesn't play a bigger role than uh, what we think he would. Um, and, and yeah, I think Tanvir Sangha could well be the Like a backup for Ashton Agar Because Ashton Agar is coming back From injury uh, But he's been such a, I mean Ashton Agar I should say Has been such a uh, integral White ball, or member of this White ball side, so mm. I can't see them Leave him out unless there is an injury So uh, it looks like a strong 18, right, like whichever 15 you Pick from here I think would work uh, But yeah, I'm just Interested that how it doesn't look very dissimilar to last time
0: around. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Australian cricket moves very slowly at times. Um, We might be... I don't don't know if we're playing T20s in Edinburgh. Um, The final word team is getting together with uh, a Lord's Tavern as... Jaunt around August twenty second and twenty third. Um, so there'll be a couple of matches played up there. There there might be opportunities for people to play if you if you're a listener to the show and you want to get involved. Um, so that's something to get in touch with Adam uh, about that. You can find him on Twitter or you can email us at uh, finalwordcricket at gmail And that's all being pulled together for the later part of August with the Lords Taverners who do wonderful work with the cricket community there, um, particularly helping out kids who live with disability or disadvantage. And and the the TAVs helped organise our live show in London. Um, There's a link in the show notes to get onto their mailing list and find out about a lot of the projects that they're doing. So there's a lot of short form cricket being played under the TAVs banner over the summer as well. The World Cup stuff, Bharat, this is interesting. So we already covered they've moved the India-Pakistan date because of the the festival of Navaratri. That means that they've had to move the Pakistan-Sri Lanka game earlier to accommodate the the previous move. And now the Kolkata police want to move the Pakistan-England game because of another festival called Kali Puja. Please update our listeners about the the festivals, what they mean, why, why they're causing such a ruckus and why nobody considered the fact that they were happening before the world cup schedule was uh, announced.
1: I mean can there be a better advertisement for like Indian festivals in the in October and November because that is festival season right that it's leads true. into all of this leads into Diwali uh the uh, the triumph of good over evil and um, yeah, yeah and also it's uh some festivals in India are very state specific. Yeah. So Navratri does get celebrated around India but uh nowhere does it get celebrated with the same fervor as as gujarat uh, and amdabad in particular yeah uh, so navratri is uh, i mean you know how um, how much i love my mythological stories and i get buried for it on youtube because all these indian people are like that's wrong that's not what happened yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i'll tell you what i know yeah but navratri is basically a nine-day festival nine nights so uh that's that's what the, the direct translation of Navratri is
0: right
1: um it, it you know it, it it is it is the triumph of good over evil like most things most religious yeah that's thing, what uh, holy stories, was as well
0: right
1: it was it was yeah i mean uh uh it totally was but in this case uh i think it's uh the the world is or whatever whatever world it was uh they they're being Commanded by this demon king. And to kill this demon king, they call upon um, uh, the goddess Durga, uh, who appears. And uh, the the demon king, obviously, there's always a demon king, Jeff. It's
0: always a demon <laughs> king. I've noticed just, this.
1: Yeah, he's like a mystery spinner-like demon king. So he keeps changing forms and all of that. Mm-hmm. But eventually, she gets the better of him. Uh, and and that's what Navratri is, and so it, it's a celebration. Uh, it's done differently in different states, but yeah. especially in Gujarat, they they have this particular uh, it, it's it's a it's a form of dance called Dandiya, which is played with uh, sticks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a huge thing. It's a huge social thing where millions and millions of Indian rupees get spent and earned not uh, during the course of that. So uh, people from around the world, around the country, and around the world. Uh, land up in Gujarat, but if you can't go there, I mean that's that's the Mardi Gras. I mean if you can't get there, you have your own local events as well around the, around the country, especially in right. the northern part of the country. Now, Kali Puja is very specific to Bengal, where Isha and her family come from. And uh, before we hit record, I did have a little chat with her parents who are here visiting. Uh, so just to get my head clear about what it is. So a uh, Kali is ma Kali is is an avatar of uh, of madurga uh, of of Goddess Durga. Sure. Uh, but she gets worshipped more in in the in the state of Bengal, which is a very matriarchal society you're always told because of Kalima. And that is more to do with just uh, uh, it, it's it's like she comes once a year to get rid of all sin, not just in society but within you uh, and purifies everything and and goes away. so it it's a smaller, um kind of celebration then then it's not a very public thing it happens right. more privately but it is it's a big deal it's it's uh everything shuts down in in bengal in calcutta during that period so that's a little bit of um information and knowledge of what these two festivals are now why did they have waited till this long to uh, uh, kind of put their hand up and realize oh we put the wrong matches on the wrong date uh, or in the wrong city that i won't be able to tell you but mm-hmm. I, I do i will tell you this i have heard adam and you talk about uh, this whole world cup schedule mess and, and the ineptness of the bcci it, it's more complicated than that. Like everything in India. right? India, yeah, it's never straightforward. Like uh, because I had to explain this to someone the other day. Uh, it's not the BCCI, uh, just, this is not a power play from the BCCI saying, ah, we don't care about world cricket, we'll just let them dance to our tunes. Nor is it the fact that they're just inept. The way it works is you have to appease so many people for a cricket match. To, even the mighty BCCI have to keep a lot of people happy starting with the commissioner of police, mm-hmm. because without the commissioner of police, you don't get the necessary police cover for a cricket or international event to take sure. place. So all these things are also where, like now the Kolkata cops, indirectly what they're saying is, hey, look, you know, it's kali Kalipurja, you have this World Cup match. It's going to be a little difficult for us, so... Can we kind of come to an understanding? So, right. I, I'm, so there might I'm, be a lot, more,
0: a lot more tickets going to um, police officers in the crowd, for instance.
1: There you go. That's exactly how it works. Look for a high-profile guest. So, uh, and it's, the, the police is just one. Similarly, there are like at least there'll be ten. There'll be politicians. There'll be clubs. There'll be mm. uh, important industrialists. Everyone who plays a big role in a cricket match happening. So, uh, the BCC. I mean, the whole power play of world cricket is. Not just secondary or tertiary, it doesn't even matter to the BCCI Mm -hmm. right now. First, they have to please everyone, make everyone happy. And you know how India works. Like just setting up a radio booth, you have to keep at least 25 people happy for that one radio booth to function, for the Wi Fi connection to come through. So that's what the BCCI have, that's the battle that they're fighting right now, which they have to all the time. Now, your question could be, why didn't they start earlier? Well, that doesn't how India works. So they just waited till the last minute. But it'll be sorted. Like, you know, once we get there, everything will be you know prim and proper everything will be sorted the cops will be happy Isha's parents will celebrate Kali puja just the way they do every year um, our Gujarati friends will play their dandiya on Navratri and like you know still get to watch India Pakistan <laughs> everything will be sorted India yaar. but right mm-hmm. now it's just a, it feels like a mess but it really is not
0: Okay, unless, unless you actually want to attend the game because there are still no tickets on sale and it's now less than two months before the first match will be played. So well, good luck if you're a spectator.
1: Uh, people will come.
0: People will come. The, <laughs> but, I mean, that's the thing. Like, so, the grounds will be full no matter what.
1: That's the, that's the beauty. I mean, that's why they don't have to. I mean, there's always this talk of like, uh, man, I, I have been a fan. I've sat in those dreadful stadiums without uh, access to toilets and no access to water. For 15 years, 20 years of my life, but the thing is that people still come, right? Like, uh, so at some point, if ever the—I mean, I don't know—it'll ever happen. But if on um, masse Indian cricket fans boycott cricket stadiums, um, the facilities will not improve. Unfortunately, that's just how the mm-hmm. country works.
0: Mm-hmm. Right, OK. That's how the World Cup is rolling. Um, interesting news during the week. Alex Hales retiring from international cricket mm. altogether. So the T20 World Cup final win last year was his last appearance. He said that he thought that would be a fitting last match and he, he was happy to go out on top, a bit like Stuart Broad did, but without the, the fanfare and, and the big farewell lap because obviously it's, what, nearly eight months, nine months later, Yeah. more than that, actually. That's where we're into August now um, since Hales played his yeah. last match for England. Um, Adam brought him up in the interview with uh, Matt Roller and Tim Wigmore about their, their book about England white ball cricket um, that was released a couple of days ago, if you haven't caught up with that, about the phone call with Rob Key that got Hales that final shot once Owen Morgan was out of the picture, it must be said, and up in the commentary box. There's sort of the Test cricket element to this, where he's, you know, he said he was proud of his mm-hmm. career, but if he had his time again, he wouldn't have bothered trying to play Test cricket or red ball cricket. But he he did play what eleven Tests, I think, and and was was close at one point in 2016 batting with mm. Alistair Cook to to figuring out how to do it, and then you know all of the lost years, which were his own fault entirely. There's a, an interview with Michael Atherton in the Sky Sky Cricket Pod feed about that as well, about Ben Stokes, Bristol drug charges, well, not drug, drug uh, involvement that knocked him out of that 2019 World Cup and all the rest of it. A lot of problems that he made made for himself. Just getting a bit of, um, a bit of an interesting sonic... Backing here that you might be picking up. I'm in the Italian city yeah. of, of Genova at the moment, and there's a fair bit oh. coming on outside the window. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> where, where everybody's talking about Alex Hales here in Italy, they're all they're all coming. I'm up sure to me they are, yeah. and asking what the latest is. But it's interesting in this in this environment of you know Hales talks about the reality of IPL uh, teams having annual contracts soon, whether players mm-hmm. go full freelance like like golfers or tennis players and have their own trainers and their own backroom staff. Um, but basically, he'll be doing the freelance circuit for the next few years given that he's what 34 now or into his 30s anyway he needs to work out how to make the most of his last few years as a professional
1: yeah i mean um what could have been i think that would be the story of alex hills right like a on that uh or people talking about him in genoa he if you just look at alex hills he can pass off as a uh, a defender in the serie, a, don't he? Like he yeah. has that very
0: yeah, the tall, yeah, central lane, defender the look to head. Him. Yeah.
1: Yeah, like Marco Materazzi and uh, Alex Hales at the back. Uh, the name yeah. might have might like, not fit, but like yeah. So Luca Toni did, so maybe yeah, he could be the Luca Toni of the of the defense or of the back or at the back. Uh, but yeah, I guess it's um such a talented player, right? Such a power hitter. Uh, and I I I actually did think he would make it as a test opener. Uh maybe you can draw some parallels, even though Martin Guptill did play a lot more test cricket than Alex Hales did. And it's funny Martin Guptill, you don't you don't you don't think he's played as many test matches as he did. Yeah. But he probably kind of played more just...
0: more than he should have, Guptill. Like he, he Yeah that's because true. he was so talented he kept being given um the leash, a longer leash to say that well mm. one day he might come good even though he never really did against well not against quality opposition.
1: Yeah. And similarly, who knows, maybe Alex Hales, if he did get the long rope, it w- might not have come off. But similar kind of tall right-handers, elegant to look at, uh, hit a lot straight down the ground. But uh, yeah, I mean, he in some ways is part of that big revolutionizing of white ball cricket in England, isn't he? He just uh, kind of uh, right at the top. I mean, Jason Roy and Alex Hales did, did did a lot for white ball cricket in England 2016 that... World Cup as well. They, he had a big. Imp- he made a big impression. So, it, and it's good that um, for everything he did, the influence he had on England wide ball cricket. He finishes his career with a uh, T20 World Cup win when it looked like he would never come back. Right till Owen Morgan was there and all that controversy with him and uh, the former captain. Uh, but yeah, it never really. Clicked in the IPL though, uh, mm. like Martin Kapil again. Like some for some reason he would come in, uh, if not at the start, he would be an injury replacement. But he's never really had a great IPL, which is, kind of makes it interesting as to him talking about the annual contract. But now again, he doesn't have to be in the IPL; he can play. Mm. He can be contracted by an IPL franchise, but play in South Africa, UAE, Canada, Genoa, USA. wherever. It's <laughs> just a matter of time. USA, yeah,
0: you
1: know, Brazil. Hmm. Venezuela, once, whichever, whichever country you want to go
0: to. Once they fire up the Genovese League, he'll be, he'll be first oh. through the door. All right, well, let's take one more break. We'll come back for a little bit of what's happening in the Caribbean, Royal London Cup, um, whatever else we think of on the way.
1: Hi, I'm Matt Renshaw, and you're listening to the Final Word podcast.
0: It's the Final Word. Jeff Lemon, Barrett Sundaresan, West Indies, India, they've been playing. So we spoke about their first ODI when I did the show with Adam last week. We didn't touch on the fact that Virat Kohli was bumped down the order because in a small run Mm. chase they wanted to give the middle order players a chance to bat. So they were five down, which means he was due to come in at seven, had another wicket fallen, which hadn't happened since his first year of cricket, I think. I mean, Mm. maybe it was on debut. Rohit Sharma mentioned there was... There was a game when it might have been on debut when Kohli was listed at seven. Then he gets rested from the next two games, so doesn't bat in the first. This is after making a test hundred in in the last test. Skips the T20s as well. So the third ODI sees India make 3.51. Ishan Kishan and Shubman Gill, with a big opening partnership, both made big half centuries. Sanju Sampson, 51, who might be a a smoky for the wicketkeeper spot Mm -hmm. if Ishan doesn't nail it. Hardik Pandya captaining this side, 70 from 52 balls that... Feels significant in a way as well that you know they they definitely know who the next white bull leader is. You're talking about Mitch Marsh maybe taking that job for Australia. It's definitely mm-hmm. Hardik Pandya, but he just oh, yeah. can't get past Rohit Sharma at this point. Is do you think it's just getting to the end of the World Cup and then Rohit makes way?
1: I think so. Uh, I uh, it, just the way it's standing, right? Like. Uh, uh, where Hardik Pandya is in terms of stature in Indian cricket, you can see the, the contract he's been given, the fact that he's taken his team to two IPL finals, and uh, they've started going to him a lot. Uh, because uh, like, if, if Indian, Indian cricket isn't sure of who's captain or who's the next in line, uh, they will toss it around. Like I remember back in the day when it was Tossed around between Gambhir and Suresh Raina when I mean, uh, you weren't sure who after Dhoni. Uh, and then Kohli just takes over and never gives it back. So, but it looks very, very clear that it is Hardik Pandya, just the way uh, they keep going back to him. And it could well be. Right after the, I like, mean, what's the point of Rohit Sharma being captain uh, after this World Cup, right? I mm. mean, he'll be in his late 30s by the time the next one comes around. It's still Indian cricket. You never know. They might still like want to give him a sort of some sort of send- send-off, unless of course they win. And Rohit is smart. If they win, he will go away, unlike other former. Great, so few new cricket. <laughs> uh, that's it. That I'm gonna get buried for it, and like, yeah, they'll burn me again <laughs> in India. Uh, get me shot for being a traitor for having said that. But yeah, I think um, uh, Hardik Pandya is, is the way forward. I really thought, you know, before Rohit Sharma really came to the fore in the last couple of years as captain. Uh, after the 2019 World Cup, my prediction was that Hardik Pandya will win uh india the world cup uh, mm. at that point i said wankere stadium because the amdabad stadium wasn't complete yep. uh but i got both of those things wrong so <laughs> rohit sharma will be captain <laughs> and they will be playing the final in amdabad so um no that's the that that seems pretty very uh, very clear now that he'll be mm. one day and t20 captain
0: point so, point. right and then mukesh kumar three for 30. he's an interesting story one of these hmm. you know late 20s Players who's who's got his opportunity, and they've been looking at that kind of next tier of bowlers to push through who might push for a spot in. So shuttle Tucker took a stack of wickets. Jadeva Nudcut has been playing. Kuldeep Yadav's been back in the left-arm wrist spinner who's been you know on the outer of the Test team particularly so much. So it's like that they're, they're having a look at everybody during this series with an eye to how to pick that squad.
1: Yeah, just giving themselves uh, options, and I think that's been the Rahul Dravid way. He used to do this even with the uh, under-19 team back when he was coach. Uh, and, you know, he's of that India-A mindset, right? Uh, he was India-A coach for such a long time. He likes uh, blooding these guys, and you speak about Hardik Pandya. Hardik Pandya grew a lot under Dravid uh, when playing while playing for India-A. So he likes giving all these op- options uh, uh, or keep the, keeping these options open because there have been so many injuries in Indian cricket of late. Like Jasprit Bumrah has been gone for so long. It's good news that he's coming back. There are, every time he takes a wicket somewhere or bowls somewhere, there seems to be a clip of him bowling. So that's good science for Indian cricket. But
0: Same with um, Art- yeah, I mean, Jofre Archer, on- the same thing every, every true. delivery. True, yeah.
1: And... and it's sad that like we've we've had international cricket without those two for like nearly fourteen fifteen months, right? Like the and Jofra Archer did play some white ball cricket in between, but yeah, I mean those two not playing regular cricket is is, is it's it's tragic for world cricket. But anyway, uh, so yeah, Mukesh Kumar, interesting story. Like uh, somewhat similar to the Mohammad Shami mole. Like is not from Bengal, but. Uh, from another state and then moves to Bengal because his uh, dad's a taxi driver or runs a taxi service anyway. He's given like a few months to prove himself or join his dad in the taxi business and then get spotted by a coach. Classic Indian cricket story uh, and has been um, a, a workhorse for Bengal in uh, first class cricket especially. I've heard read stuff where his uh, coach Arun Lal, former India opener and commentator, said that he's a lot like Mohammed Abbas. Uh, Not the quickest, but he can bowl long spells. And that's why Mm. um, Indian, um, you know, in in India, have lacked that kind of guy after Rishan Sharma has been like moved on from someone who can give them really long spells. So that's the kind of role he's looked at. He had a decent IPL for Delhi. I think he started off well, but then he faded away. But I think the more exciting prospect is Tilak Verma, who's been, ever since he made his debut for Mumbai Indians last year, has got the next big thing tag.
0: Well, this is interesting, right? Because cause the West Indies have sprung a surprise on India. They've gone 2-0 mm. up in the T20 series. They're playing five, so India could still come back. But So Nicholas Puran, 41. Rothman Powell makes 48 quickly, and then they hold India four runs short, nine wickets down. And Tilak Varma has an influence here, comes in, makes 39 off 20-odd balls, hits his second and third balls for six off Helsari Joseph, which is no small thing, and then mm. follows it up in the next game with 51 from 41 balls in setting 153. But West Indies chase that down. run again, 67 off 40. Mm. So the West Indies aren't playing the 50-over World Cup, but they're still showing they've got some chops in the 20-over version. And Tilak Varamo for India is making runs but can't contribute to a win yet.
1: Yeah, and uh, it's it's big that West Indies do that. Uh, Don't forget, they're the host next year of the T Twenty World Cup. You know, people are talking a lot about it being held in the US, but the US Mm. is only going to host a few matches. It's it's still a West Indian, um, so they don't have to qualify for that for a change. That's good news for West Indies. They they seem to really struggle to qualify for these big tournaments these days. Uh, so they will be there regardless of what happens. So it's good that Nicholas Poran can build like a team to go into that workup. And it looks like a more or less settled team with Obad McCoy and Akil Hussain. And these guys have I mean come through. It almost feels like the next generation of the Pollards and Bravos and those guys. Like so They started winning yeah. only after they had that settled look. So that's a good sign for them. Yeah, I think we're almost messed it up yesterday, were comfortably cruising and then lost four wickets for four runs. And then it took Alzari Joseph and Akil Hussain to take them home. But yeah, I mean, from an Indian perspective though, yeah, Tilak Verma, another one of these IPL big names coming through. A similar, I mean, different story to Makesh Kumar. Uh, I think his dad's an electrician. Uh, so this coach sees him play tennis ball cricket, picks him up and says, like, I have to, like, you're, you're my... Uh, and, and it happens a lot in Indian cricket where, like, these... Random coaches, or no, not random coaches, coaches pick these random kids from the street and invest so much. But also what I always find funny is they realize that, you know, it's the only way I will stay relevant. Like, it's not just by contributing a lot to this kid, but by taking a lot of pictures with them so i let this i'll send you a link to this jeff it's very funny so this lovely piece on tilak varma has appeared in the indian express where his coach has spoken a lot about this young kid who had like financial issues how he helped him out <laughs> but my favorite part of the story is you know, he, he, there is a quote he says i used to take him around on my bike a lot uh and he was a young boy so he used to fall asleep on the bike all the time and then i would like he would uh, but then there's also Soucho of the coach on the bike with a young Pilak Verma asleep at the back. <laughs> so he's taken. <laughs> I mean, think about this guy's foresight, right? Like, he's taken this picture at least. Seven eight years ago, while riding his two wheeler, he's taken a selfie of this kid, in, which is in India is legal, by the way. It's not illegal. <laughs> <That's> uh, <sad. laughs> but and he's held on to that picture all this while, and it's worked out. Uh-huh. Like, there is the coat and this beautiful picture of young pillar Parma like falling asleep at the back. But yeah, I mean, he's touted to be. Play all formats for India, so just another one of those. Uh, mm. The conveyor belt never
0: stops in Indian cricket. Yeah, yeah, the hype machine never stops either. I'm not sure it helps some of that these players true. the way that they're talked up and and then disappear. You know, hello, Prithvi Sure, if you're listening. So, okay, <laughs> so that's that's where the West India series is at um, three to go. There, the Royal London Cup is happening as well in England with the non-hundred players playing the the domestic fifty-over tournament. The mm. the games are coming thick and fast, so there's no. Point trying to go through the matches. Um, notable that James Rue just made 100, another 100 in this summer. So in the first class stuff this season, 1,034 runs at 64, Oof. 500s and only 250s. So he's converting more often than not. And then he's just made his first list, A 100, the young keeper. So this is, you know, he, he's. The, the, the hype machine there will just keep building up. There's this weird mm-hmm. situation with Royal London where the, so the group stage is finished within a fortnight from recording this. It's all crammed in there. Then they have a week in which they stage some quarterfinals and semifinals. And then a gap from August 29th to... September 16th, so 18 days before they play the final. So, yeah, you, you might want a warm-up match in there or something like that. Um, but, but it's in a, and it's this weird situation that in, in a year when England's World Cup defence starts in under two months, they've got all of their best players playing 100-ball cricket instead of playing 300-ball cricket, and, mm. and it's basically the, the, the feeder teams and the players who couldn't get picked up in the shiny stuff who are playing the 50-over comp.
1: Chetesh Pujara made a 100 on that note <laughs> yesterday in the competition didn't he like so um, yeah qualify for England English cricket yeah you might you might you never know uh so it's just priorities right like where we i mean nobody's surprised anymore that uh, where the hundred stands for English cricket and just the way even on social media the rounds that the hundred makes to so the extent uh even when i met um, some of our english colleagues on my Penultimate. No, on my, on my last night in England, they had uh, one of Ben Jones had his uh, a fellow Final World family member had his iPad in there and they were watching the 100. And it was pretty much for the first time I watched the game of the 100. It's, mm. it's, it's the, the numbers are tough to follow, but that uh, doesn't matter. That's the thing that counts right now. But James True, I can't wait to see him. I know it, the hype machine is already doing the rounds, but every time I go on social media and there's anything to do with England cricket, his name seems to be doing the rounds. Like, so, uh, who knows? I even read somewhere that he might get pe- picked for the test series in India. Like, that'll be quite something. Like, Hasib Hamid last time or in 2016. But, uh, who knows? It's bizarre, but like, you know for years England were criticized when they were not doing well in 50 over cricket that why are you playing a 40 over competition to prepare Mm. for a 50 over competition what are they doing now they're playing a 100 ball competition to prepare for a 50 over cricket.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I suppose they've they've got their most of their one-day team pretty well locked in Um, and they will will just go with the tried and true method although interesting that Stokes hasn't been tempted out of retirement Um, he's been very firm Mm. on the fact that he won't parachute into the world cup but that i believe takes us to the end of our show for this week thank you so much for joining us again
1: anytime can't wait i'll go back to naming the chickens i guess
0: Remembering which one's which, I suppose, and <laughs> making sure that Elfie is well restrained behind an even <laughs> bigger and stronger fence. It's an enormous dog. If you haven't seen him, check check Parrot's social feeds, and you'll see <laughs> he's basically Falcor from the Neverending Story, but um, a bit hungrier. This this is it. <laughs> this has been the final word. Jeff Lemon, Parrot Cinderace, and thanks for listening to the show. If you want to get involved, at Nerd Pledge, you can send us one at patreon.com slash the final word. Get involved with the Lord's Taverners if you want to look them up in the show notes as well. We'll be back with more during the week. I can't even remember what's coming up next. There might be an archive episode. There should be a story time on the weekend. Plenty more coming in the final word feed through August and September before we throw ourselves into the roaring more of the World Cup through October and November. Uh, well, can't wait. We'll see you soon. I had to go about it